Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Hey guys, just got an email from Seamus. It says, emergency. I've got to cut the cake for my nine-year-old's birthday today and I always seem to mess it up. I just can't find the right thing to use. I know the guys at the shift garage are really handy. Any tips? Oh yeah, I can take care of this. Step one, make a cake. Step two, find floss from all those dentist visits that you've never used. Step three, use the floss to cut even lines through the cake. And send, emergency averted. Hey, Fountain Springs, my name is Pastor Joe. I am over the Shift Garage Car Ministry, and whenever I get the chance, I just want to thank you guys for your support in that. Whether you give regularly on the weekend, whether you pray um, in a steady fashion for Shift, whether you've served actually at the shop or donated a car, I just want to say thank you. I can't do what I do without what you guys do, and uh, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I really enjoy what I do. So. As always, thank you guys for that. Um, today, we are going to talk about rest. So, I want to make sure that we're ready to hear a message on rest. So, let's, let's kind of get prepared. I want you to find a comfortable spot in your chair, kind of wriggle in a little bit. Try not to mess up your neighbor any more than you have to, but find a good spot in your chair. If you got a coffee today, take a sip of that coffee and really, really savor the flavor and enjoy that. And then... Let's all just, let's do one breath together. In through the nose and out through the mouth, okay? Everybody, can we do that? You ready? Oh, you guys did really good. Okay, you look better. You look like you're ready to listen to a sermon on rest now. So, some little things always make us feel better. Some things we can't even explain why they make us feel better. I've got one. I'm going to share it with you. I've shared it with a few people this week. They did not know about it. And they're now believers. So I hope, I hope I can put you in that camp. Every time you pull up your socks, you feel amazing. Did you know that? You're thinking, think, think back to the last time you pulled up your socks, or if you can't remember, pull up your socks right now. It feels so good. Why is that? It doesn't make any sense. But it works every time. You're welcome for that. Now you guys know that. So now you're comfortable you got a good spot in your seat, you're enjoying your coffee, your breathing's right, your socks are pulled up. You have a really good chance of falling asleep during this message. And technically, you would be applying it because I'm talking about rest. But I really don't want you to do that. I think we're at a, like a give a man a fish, teach him how to fish situation. Because I think I've got some tools and methods that will really help you make rest a bigger and more meaningful part 
of your life. I'm going to start just a little bit heavy with this first scripture. Don't worry. This one is in Job 20. It says, they are unable to relax and enjoy anything they've worked for. Ouch. Does, does that describe where you find yourself today? If you're really honest and you think about it, you know, you started work, some of you as a teenager, some of you when you were 30, but, uh, you know, we've started work and we started it thinking it would provide things that we needed to improve our lives or make our lives possible, the way that we live them or something like that. But, but did we get too focused on the work and now we realize, oh, I'm just focusing on the work. I'm not actually getting to enjoy life the way it was supposed to be enjoyed. I'm not actually enjoying the things that work is providing. Because I want us to, to realize exhaustion is not a status symbol. Some people, uh, workaholics otherwise, wear exhaustion as kind of like a badge. Like, I work so hard that I'm exhausted all the time. It's not a status symbol. It, you will accomplish less overall, you will impress very few people, and you will impress them for the wrong reason. It's not, it's not a level of work or effort that you can keep up long term. I had an assistant pastor under me at uh, the church I was at before I came here. I, I pastored a church in Montana, and I had an assistant pastor there. And um, as we began to work together, we started meeting weekly with one another, and we would meet and discuss where we needed to take the church, what decisions needed to be made, what, what direction we wanted to go. And um, it, it got kind of interesting because we were two very different people. This guy was a very type A, like driven, attack, aggressive, everything kind of guy. And uh, if you know me, I am not that. Uh, I am a lot more laid back. Uh, it takes a lot to get me excitable about something. I, I just take it a little easier than that. And so he would always want to push these decisions faster than I, than I thought we should be making them. And uh, beyond that, beyond just being different in our method, I got worried for him about the pace that he was trying to keep up. This, this workaholic, he did a lot at work. He did a lot at church. Um, he just did a lot all the time. And, and I cautioned him on that for, as it turns out, years. Well, when I came here, he got the opportunity to take over that church completely, and he became the head guy. And if you can mentally imagine a picture of a man trying to pull a donkey that doesn't want to be pulled, that's kind of what that situation looked like for a while. He really just tried to push them into decisions faster than they wanted to be. And, and we were pastoring a rural church of ranchers, and they, they want to be real sure that they're making the right decision before they make any decision at all. They'd, they'd rather make no decision than make the wrong decision. So it just wasn't the right method for that particular situation. But he kept doing that, and it looked like it was going to go on for a long time. It looks like that was going to be the way that it was, that he was going to try to pull them and they were going to try to resist. But it didn't end up that way. After a little while, he actually had a massive panic attack and spent quite a bit of time in the hospital over it. So why do I tell you that story? It's not because it's an I told you so, because I called seeing that that was going to happen. I tell you that story because a lot of you think, that your overworking can be maintained because you've done it for a while. You think, I know everyone says that I shouldn't do this, but, but I've been doing it for a year, two years. I, I can just keep doing it forever. That's not the way it's gonna work out. It will catch up with you. There's a story I really like about a lady that talks to her pastor on a Tuesday, and she says, 
Pastor, I tried to get a hold of you so many times yesterday and I, I just couldn't get anybody at the office. And he said, oh, I'm really sorry about that. I'm, Monday's my day off, so I can help you, but it'd have to be from Tuesday on during the week. And she just kind of stepped back and said, well, how can you take a day off? Because Satan doesn't take a day off, so how could a pastor take a day off? That doesn't make any sense. And he said, you know what? You're right. Satan doesn't take a day off. And if I didn't take a day off, I'd be just like he is. <laughs> Have you ever been there? Have you ever not taken time off for a while and realized, oh, I'm not as good of a person. This isn't, this isn't something I'm going to maintain long time. So I've already told you I'm not known to be a workaholic, and I think that's mainly because I'm not a workaholic. Uh, has a lot to do with it. I, I think I actually do a pretty good job of working and focusing energy and effort on my job and then going home and, and leaving it, not taking it home with me and being able to be present with my family and, and any obligations with my friends. I think this is an area I have figured out a little bit better than other areas of my life. But I have also just gone through a time in my mind of being really worried about future preparations about when I get older, you know, am I, am I building enough wealth now to have something later and what's my future going to look like and am I going to be able to live the life that I hope to live at that point? Uh, I keep being told that at my age that's like called a midlife crisis or something. I don't know, but that's, I don't know. We'll see how that works out. But that's, that's really what I've been focused on too much and I haven't taken enough time to focus on my spiritual well-being. Somehow, in our effort to keep up with our friends and neighbors, we've heard it called keeping up with the Joneses, we're, we're working all the time. We've put the two words together, rest and laziness. We think that when somebody rests, it's a sign of weakness somehow, or it, it shows that they're lazy, and that's just not the case. We've gotta get that fixed. We've gotta change our mindset on that. There's a scripture in Genesis 2-2 that tells us that God rested on the seventh day after creation. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. Now, if you believe that God was lazy, that's a different conversation that we could have. I'll just mention that he created everything that existed or ever will exist in the previous six days. So unless you have done the same, you might not have a leg to stand on in that argument. But God did not rest because he was lazy. Do you realize that when you refuse to take the time to rest, or even take the time to rest as much as you should, you're in reality saying that you're busier than God. Now, that might not be your intention, that might not be what you're trying to say, but that is in fact what you're saying, is that you're busier than God. God had time to rest, but I don't. I've got stuff to do. I've got obligations. I can't make that work. And that can become a real pride issue. But we'll look at that later. I want to mention also that rest is one of the Ten Commandments. It's listed in Exodus 20. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. In case you're not using the term Sabbath around the kitchen table in the evening, some of us are not using Sabbath in our normal vocabulary, let me just say 
It means a rest day. The definition is a day of rest, specifically for your spiritual well-being. So I want to discuss some practical benefits of rest in the form of sleep. If you improve your sleep, they have said that it will improve your memory, you will live longer, it spurs creativity. Stanford University did a study with their athletes where they had them sleep for 10 hours a night for six to eight weeks, and not only did they have reduced fatigue and increased stamina, it actually improved their sprint time for the football team. It actually made them better athletes sleeping more. It'll reduce stress, you've probably heard about that one. It'll help you maintain or achieve a healthy weight. It can even help you avoid car accidents. In 2009, the Highway Traffic Safety Administration said that single car fatal accidents, there were more of them caused by sleepy drivers than people that were under the influence of alcohol. More people got in crashes because they were tired than alcohol-related crashes. That's crazy to me that that's how that worked. So that's several forms of unconscious rest, right? When you sleep and you're unconscious, that will help you with those things. But true rest, what I'm talking about today, true rest is not as easy as just sleeping. If it was as easy as sleeping, it would be really simple. I mean, we still wouldn't do it because we're not sleeping as much as we should now, but it would be much simpler. But it's more than sleeping. It's about time to focus on things other than work and sleep. I'm gonna use the example here of Chick-fil-A, both because it's a great example of what I'm talking about and because it gets me big bonus points with David whenever I mention Chick-fil-A. David would want me to tell you if you're in the position to bring a Chick-fil-A franchise to Rapid City, he would love to talk to you about that. <laughs> Did you know that ever since the very first location opened in 1967, Chick-fil-A has been closed on Sunday. We talk about it now that they're closed on Sunday, but did you know since the very beginning, they've been closed on Sunday? So we can assume in the world of business that they're losing one-seventh of their income every week, month, year. I hope you guys are tracking with me. There's seven days in a week. They're losing one of them, so they'd make one-seventh less. We're all on track with the math here. So the question is, why would a for-profit company choose to lose that day. Based on how many locations they have and how much each location makes, it adds up to just over a billion dollars a year that that one day would generate for them. Well, the answer is they don't lose that income. You see, while Chick-fil-A is the eighth largest fast food chain, per individual store, they make more money than anybody. Their direct competition is KFC, which I realize sounds a little funny to say, but that's their direct competition. A KFC store makes $960,000 per year, while a Chick-fil-A store brings in over $3.1 million. Over three times more revenue, just letting your competitor have Sunday, just letting them run away with it. So giving their employees that rest time and their CEOs that rest time does more than just help them sleep. It improves their mood and the way they interact with each other and ultimately the bottom line of that for-profit company. So I want to get to our story today, which is about Mary and Martha. This is going to help us kind of transition into the conscious side of rest, what rest looks like. Mary and Martha have heard that Jesus is coming over for lunch. Now, how would you deal with that information if I just told you, hey, Jesus is going to come to your house for lunch? 
How would you deal with that situation? Uh, growing up, I, I know all, that I was the last generation that lived like this, but I might have been the last year of people that lived like this. We had all this stuff, these fancy plates and like gravy boats that nobody ever uses for anything and this fancier set of silverware that we normally had in case the president stopped by for lunch, like we would be ready for that situation. It never happened. Uh, I know you'll be shocked to hear that. He never stopped by. Uh, some of you parents parented in different ways. Some of you saw these on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Some of you weren't even allowed to use them then. It was just for that situation. But I think we can agree, no matter what our political views are, that Jesus trumps the president. And this would be a bigger deal than that. Also, Jesus didn't do a lot of traveling alone. Jesus had, you know, he had the disciples with him, but he also had a lot of followers alongside that. So you've got a big group of people coming over for lunch. You've, one of them is Jesus, so there's that to deal with. And, and what are you going to do? How are you going to deal with that situation? Well, Mary and Martha prepare in two different ways, and as you might expect, that causes an issue. Um, Mary decides to just listen to Jesus, what he's saying, and just focus on that. Martha, I assume, had the gift of hospitality, and she decided this was officially the time to freak out, that he was coming to her house. Now, this is not in the Bible. I want to prepare you that before I say it. But when I read it, I get the idea that she's just shoving stuff in a closet, like get it clean as fast as I can. I know none of you have ever done that. I'm not allowed to do that now because I'm married. Uh, but you just shove everything in the closet and close the door, make it look good, and then Jesus would go, you know I can see everything, right? So that didn't, that wasn't, that didn't do you any good. That's not in the Bible. I just have fun when I read the Bible. That's what, that's what I saw there. But let me get to the story so we can start on that. It's found in Luke 10. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I want you to notice she uses an exclamation point when talking to Jesus. You need to be fairly certain about what you're saying when you're telling Jesus what to do and using an exclamation point. She was very emphatic about this. But did you notice he says, few things are needed or indeed only one? What's he talking about there? He's talking about the food. See, Martha has decided to just pull out all the stops and do Thanksgiving here. She's got the turkey, she's got the stuffing, she's got the mashed potatoes, the green bean casserole, the cranberries, all of the things. She's doing everything. And Jesus is saying, this is the best meal for your soul that you're ever going to get. I'm right here talking to you. It's not important, all that stuff. We just need sustenance for our bodies. Go throw something in the Instapot and come over here and just <laughs> listen to this like Mary is. It's a lot more important than your belly right now. That's what he's telling her. The preparations were not important. I wonder if, like Martha, we're doing a lot of things that don't matter. Sometimes that's easy to see in the moment. Sometimes it's not until you're done and you go, oh, man, I, I wasted a lot of time on that. I, I didn't need to do that. I'm going to... I'm going to date some of us here a little bit. I apologize, but not that bad. Who remembers Y2K? 
the whole Y2K thing. Oh, this is going to be fun. So I was a teenager at the time, and my dad was listening to a lot of like Rush Limbaugh, those type of guys. So I was just like in front of the radio, these big eyes hearing about planes that were going to fall out of the sky, prison doors were just going to swing open, your car wasn't going to start because there's computers in there and it wouldn't know what to do. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is going to be insane. People, if you don't remember, were spending tens of thousands of dollars to build these underground bunkers. They would get like the big tank under a gas station or a purpose-built bunker and put food and water in there for the next 10 years and get ready for this was going to be like the big thing. Now, those of you that didn't raise your hand that weren't there, you have not heard a lot about Y2K because we're embarrassed about it and we don't want to talk about it <laughs> because nothing happened like literally nothing. I was filming it, and when I say filming it, I mean like with a, with a VHS, like a big camera. It looked like I was working for a professional news company, but it's only because it was 1999, and that's what we had. Filmed it, and nothing happened. All of this was for nothing. It's not like on the next day, somebody that, that built all that said, well, now I have this handy-dandy bunker in case something else comes up, or what if I'm around for Y3K, and that's the big one. If I, if I live a thousand years, that could, that could happen. No, it was all completely wasted. It was a bunch of effort and money and time that went into nothing. So how can we be less like Martha in this situation and more like Mary? Well, again, Mary understood rest, the concept of a Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest. I said it's for your spiritual well-being, it's for your soul, your spirit and your soul. I think we've all done things that effectively rested our bodies and our minds, but didn't do our soul and our spirit any good. Have you ever been in the situation where you find yourself with two days at home and you don't have to go to work? Like, you don't even know how it happened. Some holiday no one's ever heard of happened and your work shut down and you're at home for two days. What do you do? Netflix. Whatever you're doing on Netflix, like the series or show you're watching, you just do it for two days. You barely get food in your body and you watch Netflix. So all you've done is rest. You should be so relaxed and just light when you get done with that, but you're not. You feel exactly the same as when you started. It didn't, it didn't do anything for your spirit or your soul. So real quick, let's discuss what our soul is. Your body and your mind, those are easy. Those are, those are the things that wake, woke up this morning and you got dressed and you, you went about your day and you came here and they're sitting in your seat right now. That's your body and your mind. And that's a part of who you are. But your soul and your spirit are just as much a part of who you are. They can't be seen, they can't be touched, but they do make up who you are as a person. It's what animates you and moves you around in the way that you're being moved around. Genesis 2.7 tells us, And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground. So he's formed the body and the mind. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became, at that point, a living soul. It's something different. The Sabbath is a day of rest for that side of who you are. I don't think we put enough emphasis on that generally. God rests. In Exodus 31, he tells us, it is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. 
There's that word refreshed there. So again, God did not rest because he was tired. If you believe that God was tired after six days of work, then we need to expand your image of what God is, what he's capable of, who he is as a person. He rested then and rests now because of something called soul care. He was focusing on his soul and taking care of that side of him. There's a great story that I think illustrates this point well. There was a rich man that had saved up his whole life and he retired and he finally got to go on his dream trip to Africa. And he had decided all the spots he wanted to see, the stops he wanted to make. And this was another really type A driven, motivated, like charge ahead kind of guy. And so he gets there and he finds a translator and he hires a bunch of guys to lug around his bags and drive the Jeeps and do all the stuff. So day one, they get an early start and they go see all this stuff. Point one, point two, point three, go see everything. Day two, same thing. We got to get to these points, do these things. Day three, same deal. They're starting early. They're running till sundown. He's getting to see everything he wants to see. So day four, he expects the same thing. But he goes out there and the guys that he's hired are sitting under a tree in the shade in the morning. And he thinks, well, I don't know what that's about, but I'll put up with it for a little bit. But a little bit turns into quite a while and he starts getting frustrated and he finds a translator and he says, hey, I'm paying these guys to do this stuff for me and they're just sitting there doing nothing. And the translator, of course, knows the culture there, understands things a little bit better. And he said, no, sir, they're not doing nothing. They're sitting still so that their souls can catch up with their body. What an interesting image. I hope that hits you kind of like it hit me. They're sitting still so their souls can catch up with their body. Have we done that to ourselves? Have we left our souls behind? Have we been so frantically improving what we can do with our hands and our body, improving our capacity, but not focusing on our soul, that whole half of who we are? I'm gonna ask you this, it's one of my favorite questions. If you ever heard me teach one of the New Believers classes, then you've heard it before, but what's more important? Spending time and talking to the creator of the universe, reading his word in an intentional way, or brushing your teeth? Which of those two things is more important? But which one did you do today? I hope that all of us at least attempted to brush our teeth today. You can have that discussion with your neighbor. They probably already know if that needs to be addressed. We agree that spending time with the creator of the universe is more important, but somehow it's easier to put off than the other. If you don't brush your teeth for a week, People are going to notice that. You're going to get some comments. That, that's going to have to be addressed. But if you don't spend time in the Word, in the devotions, you know, talking to God like he's standing right next to you, you can probably get away for that with, for a week until it becomes a much bigger deal down the line. It's more important. We can all agree on that. But it's easier to kind of slough off and, and not deal with for a while. I think admitting that we need to rest in this way shows dependence on God. And I fully believe that God always rewards that. When we admit dependence on God, I think he rewards that in our lives. You've seen people that think they have it all figured out. They don't need God. They got their job on their own. They cash the paycheck on their own. They decide how the money should get spent. They do all the stuff on their own. They don't need God for anything. That's what they tell people, how they live their life. And they might even be doing quite well. They might have a successful job, lots of money, good friendships. But if they're not 
in a personal relationship with Jesus and they don't spend time on this soul care, then that is what's missing in their life. They're missing a, a large chunk or segment of what makes them up, the makeup of that person. So how do we take care of our soul? What do we do? Now, before I tell you, I know I'm kind of baiting you there a little bit, but before I tell you, I want to address the tension between hearing something on stage and applying it to your life. Almost every week, we hear something here at Fountain Springs from David or one of the other pastors, and we think to ourselves, that's a really good point. If I did what he's saying, that would fix that thing in my life that I want to get fixed. And I know that's the case because I'm a pastor and I sit in the seat that you're sitting in at least twice a week and listen to the sermon and I do the exact same thing. David will say something and I go, that's a really good point. I should, I should totally do that. But not this week because I've got this week planned out. I've got some stuff I need to do. I'll work on it next week. And then next week comes and it's gone. I don't remember anything about it. But I don't want this to be like that for us. I'm going to put up this, this easy formula. It's going to look pretty self-explanatory. Let me explain it. Thoughts plus action equals life. We have the thought. We go, yes, I agree with that thing that's being said. That needs to happen. But it doesn't become our reality until we put it into action. That's the step that we have got to do. And I know that if you really want this for your life, you will do that. And the reason that I know that is because I have a son in soccer in this town, and I know the ridiculous things that we do for our kids in sports. I remember when he was like six years old, this was my first experience with kids' team sports. I didn't do it as a kid. So my son's in this at six, and they tell me, we're traveling to like Sioux Falls or Denver or something for this game, and I went, is he pulling a scholarship or... <laughs> Does he have a chance at the Olympic team or what is going on here? So I know because we care about our kids, because we do crazy things for them, I know if you want this for your life, you will make it happen. This is one of those things that if you get rest, true rest for your soul down and figure it out better, it will improve every area of your life. There are not many things I can tell you from this point that can make that claim. But this will improve every area of your life, and I want that for you. Now, when we think about rest, in the vein of self, uh, soul care, rather, we, I think our minds kind of shift right away to meditation. Maybe you can do meditation, maybe you can't do meditation. It does not work for me. When I sit there and try to clear my mind, my mind races with more things than before. It's crazy. It tries, it tries to come up with things for me to think about so that I can't clear it. I generally think that my mind is pretty empty most of the time, but when I try to empty it all the way, it just doesn't work. I keep thinking about different things. Now, I don't want to say that meditation doesn't work because if you, can, if you can do it, if it works for you, do it. I think it can be one of the most effective methods, but it doesn't work for a lot of us. Some of us don't want it to work. If we're real honest with ourselves, if we could totally clear our mind of all the thoughts that are happening right now, there's other thoughts in there that we don't want to deal with. There's some thoughts of guilt and shame in the back of our minds that we don't want to bring to the front. We're actually scared that it might work, and we don't want to do that either. That's why we listen to music all the time, or we're always around people. We just, we don't want to hear that, that small voice. And so we're afraid of meditation in that way. But it's really simple. I'm going to share a couple of steps. 
Now, I know I told you to get relaxed in your seat. I need you to sit up for just, just sit up a little bit for a little bit because these are going to come real fast and I don't want you to miss them. So step one is to figure out what fills your soul, what feeds your soul. What do you do and you just feel elevated? Again, not body or mind, but you just feel elevated in that spirit and soul realm of who you are and do more of that thing. I told you it was going to be simple. Wait, there's more simple coming. Step two, figure out what drains your soul and do less of that thing. Figure out what you do and you go, oh man, I just, that took everything out of me. I, I don't want to have to do that again. Now, we're adults. You're doing things that you don't want to do and some of those you need to keep doing. But when possible, identify areas that drain your soul and try to eliminate as many of those as possible. I'm going to use a scary word. I have a little bit of homework for us. Now I know, oh man, I was a terrible student. So I know when I say that, the connotations that are, that are in homework. But this is going to be good homework. You're going to like it. I know you've heard that before, but I'm serious. It's, you're, it's going to improve your life. I want you to identify four things that fill you up, those things that fill up your soul. One of them you're going to do daily, one of them weekly, one of them monthly, and one annually. You guys could have probably figured that out. So the one that you do daily needs to be cheap or free and easier to accomplish. Something, I mean, something you do daily, you know, that's hard to do in general. So this needs to be something really easy. Um, I did a lot of research this year, read several books on something that's always just kind of confused me. And that is people that are in a much worse situation than I'm in in life that are always happy. Have you seen these people? It doesn't make any sense. They're so happy that when they come into the room, they make everyone else happy. They're just, happiness is coming out of them. And then there's people that on paper look to be in a much better situation than I'm in. They, they don't have to maybe even work for a living. They've got a huge house, great friendships. They've, they've got power in the thing that they do. And they're just upset all the time. Now, neither of those are true even most of the time. They both exist, and you've seen what I'm talking about. So how, how is that possible? What makes the people in the bad situation happy? Because I want that. I want to be happy regardless of my situation. And what I discovered is that you can actually choose to be happy. I want you to understand the power behind that comment. You can actually choose just to be happier about your life. And it really comes down to focusing on the positive whenever possible. Now, I don't want you to be just delusional about what's going on around you and be happy about everything that happens in your life. That's not sustainable, and it's not something I want to practice. But whenever possible, to choose to focus on the positive in that situation, if you do that enough times, you'll just train yourself to be happier. It actually works that way. One of the things that's worked the best in my life for accomplishing this is my daily soul care. I've started, I started a few months ago um, just spending time every day on my front porch. I have a little deck. Um, it holds two reasonably comfortable chairs and it faces a bunch of other houses in the neighborhood. And I can generally sit there, you know, it's nice summer now um, and it hits shade in the evening. And I can generally watch somebody mow their lawn or watch a robin try to catch worms out of, you know, I've got a sprinkler set up and they're trying to make that work for them. And there's something so relaxing. The book, The Power of Positive Thinking, is a very 
Christian book, and it talks about getting into the rhythm of nature. You know, we live in the rhythm of mankind so much. I, I set my alarm for this time. I'm hungry at noon because that's when the clock says that I'm hungry. I get off work at five. I got to get to the store before eight. We're constantly on man's time frame in that rhythm. But just to take just a little bit, I'm talking 15 minutes here, to get into the rhythm of nature and just watch a bird work and listen to the wind going through the trees, it, it really does something for you. And that's something you can do every day for free. About once a week, I find time to go out in my rusty old pickup truck and go down some country road around town. I have a 50-year-old truck. Everything on it's broken. It just like starts and runs. That's all it does. There's no air conditioning. There's no power, anything, climate control. Nobody had ever heard of any of this stuff when this truck was made. Somehow, it still goes down the road. I mean, we know why it goes down the road, because it's a Ford. But, but, my, but the point is that it's really old, and it shouldn't still work, but it does. And something about going down a winding road, maybe the sun setting over the Black Hills, and it's just so restful and enjoyable. It's one of the things that really fills me up. It's also going to serve as my annual soul care. Next year, I have, this is a bigger, more extravagant one, one of my bucket list items. I want to take my son and drive that old truck from end to end across Route 66. And that'll be a bigger, more extravagant thing that should be reserved for your annual soul care. Now, if you're paying attention, you realize I skipped over monthly, and I have to drop a bomb on you here. Sometimes when we talk from stage, we don't have all of it figured out yet. I know you're probably gonna need a minute with that, but I don't have a monthly yet. I'm working on it. When I get it, it will improve my life and my situation in this way because I really believe in what I'm telling you. So I don't know what your soul care looks like. I, can't, I just gave you examples of mine so you know kind of what I'm talking about, but I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I know if you take the time to figure it out that you will experience a better life, have a better time, be, just be a better person around your family and your job and everything, and, and that's what I want for you. I want to close with the initial scripture that we shared, which is Job 20. They are unable to relax and enjoy anything they've worked for. I just, I don't think that's what God has for your life. I think he has more for you in this area. And I want you to be able to use the tools that I've given you to make rest, true soul care rest, a bigger and more meaningful part of your life. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this great group of believers that meet and make up Fountain Springs Church. Lord, I thank you for every one of them. And, and I hope that the love you've given me for this congregation comes through in the message. That, that really, when we give a message, what we want is the most for the people we're giving it to. We love them, Lord, like you do, and we want to see the best for them. We want them to accomplish what you have set up for their lives. You have a, a unique individual plan for every one of them, and we are just here to help them realize what that is and live it out. Lord, I ask that this would not be like the other times that we've heard something and, and didn't apply it to our lives, but, but that we would want it and we would truly make it a part of who we are and what we do. Lord, help us to build a habit and form that in our lives to where it's something we do regularly and, and don't have to think about because it's so enjoyable and it adds to our lives and we believe in it and it just becomes part of who we are. Lord, I ask as always that as we're sent out from this place that we would be lights for you, that, 
we would be a reflection of your love and the care that you have for the people around us, Lord, that they would look at our lives as examples and want to live with the relationship with you that we have. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I pray that it was a blessing to each and every one. I pray these things in your name. Amen.